Hey friends, it's Mackenzie and Lindsay, and we are just popping in to ask you to do two small favors for us. First, if you are listening on Apple Podcast, we would love if you would just pop over and leave a review and rate the show because that's a really great way for people to find us. Yeah, people read those reviews. It's amazing. I know it. Uh, the second thing, if you're listening on Spotify, we made a Living Centered Starter Pack in the form of a Spotify playlist. So we took some topics and culled them out, and then you can listen to them on that Spotify playlist. So all you have to do is search on-site workshops, and you'll find all the different podcast playlists that we have curated for you. So thanks so much, y'all. And make sure you tell your friends about it. We just want to take the message of Living Centered and reach as many people as possible. It was really ugly and really messy. And when I say I burnt down my life, I mean, I like burnt down my life. And I think I'm still building it back, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I think that that's that's the law, that there's like a finish line to that. Yeah. There really isn't a finish line. Like, that's why we call it the work. You know, that's why it's like what showing up looks like, which is something I say a lot, but I would say I'm still very much in in process. Welcome to the Living Centered Podcast, where we enter into honest conversations about pursuing a more centered life, rediscovering, reclaiming, and rooting in to who we truly are. I'm your host, Miles Edcox. I'm your host, Lindsay Nobles. And I'm your host, Mackenzie Vogt. Hey friends, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Living Centered Podcast. Today's guest is the brilliant Laura Quick. Laura describes herself as a storyteller, lover of people, and believer in the impossible. And I think that those three things are the key to the success that she has found. She is the owner of three different companies, Good Grip Magazine, Good Grip Agency, and Hatch Strategies. So to say that her life is full is an understatement. She's also a wife, a mama, a dog mom, a friend, and a mentor. This week, I'm really excited because this conversation was really real. Lindsay and I sat down to chat with Laura about her passion for mental health, and we got into the role that therapy has played in her life, her marriage, her business, and even her parenting. I love the conversation because she really just showed up as her authentic, dynamic self. We laughed, we cried, and I walked away with some tangible rhythms that I want to implement in my life after hearing the effect that they've had on Laura and her success and her sanity, um, some of the ways that she stays grounded and some of the ways that she implements these into all the relationships in her life. So spoiler alert, if you are a workaholic, a people pleaser, or a skeptic, you are going to be a little bit called out today because Laura talks about uh, the different ways that she has been all three and the work that she's doing to show up every day. Without further ado, meet our friend, Laura Quick. Laura, I am so excited that you're here. I feel like there's so much that I want to talk to you about. Because I know that you're really passionate about mental health in general, I'd love for you to introduce us to yourself a little bit, but also just tell us why are you passionate about mental health? Well, first, I'm really glad to be here. Mm-hmm. Um, so fun. It's an honor. I've known Lindsay now for years, which is crazy because I feel like, you know, the pandemic made it even more years that don't feel real, but <laughs> they also, didn't count. Yeah, they weren't really adding value to our relationship. Yeah. <laughs> they, they don't feel real, but also they were very real. They yeah, were very long. Like, I was like, it was seven minutes and seven years. I don't know how it could be both. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm Laura Quick. I am a storyteller. That's how I describe myself. Um, 
I'm married to Shane. I have two boys, 15 and 18, Ethan and Clay. We have two dogs that we're like wildly obsessed with. It's kind of gross. <laughs> what kind of dogs? Bernadoodles. Bernadoodles. Bear and Lenny. Bear's two and Lenny's five. Why am I passionate about mental health? Well, for a myriad of reasons, obviously. But I think if I were to put it into a sentence or two, it would be, I'm passionate about mental health because... I know what it's like to feel like I'm not supposed to feel. Hmm. And I think that part of my journey home to myself and to God was realizing that my feelings are not too much for the right people and in the right rooms. And I am passionate about talking about it because I really want people to know that freedom. I love that distinction, the right people in the right rooms, because I think even just that is like, hey, I sometimes we feel like we have to be everything to everyone. Mm -hmm. And I love just owning like, I'm not for everyone and everyone's not safe. Not everyone gets to hold this. And there's Mm -hmm. a sacredness of like, I understand what I carry and that it's sacred and not everyone gets to have access to that. 100%. So you said that journey of coming home to yourself. When did that kind of start? Mm, that's a great question. I think it's funny because I was in therapy like for five years and it wasn't real therapy. It was kind of like I paid someone so I could go in and just like lie. Oh. <laughs> I mean, not like it is. I mean, that's so true. I think that that gets like brushed over a lot. Is it, I, that was like my beef with therapy for a long time was it felt like performative. Yeah. Like it just would wear me out that somebody would ask me so many questions. Yeah. That I had to come up to the with all the right answers. I would go in with like an agenda. Well, and I think just, you own the narrative too. Yeah. I heard um, Esther Perel was saying that when you invite someone else into it, whether it's coupleship or friendship or whatever, when there's someone else that comes into the room, like you give away some of like the onus of the narrative too. Because when you're in just like individual therapy, I can tell you whatever and like my narrative is whatever. So I think that's funny you said you were just lying. Yeah, I, well, that's how it felt. And it's, um, I was with a group of women this past weekend and I was talking about like all these changes. I had showed her like an old picture and she was like, that doesn't even look like you. I was like, well, that wasn't me. Mm. That was who I had become for the world to survive. And I think that that journey coming home to myself started probably in 2000 and I would say 12 is when I really felt like a strong pull and I'm convinced, call it whatever you want. I'd probably call it the Holy Spirit, but I think that there are things when we're ready to take a next step, it's very clear, mm-hmm. like it's revealed to us. Yeah. And I think that in 2012, I finally looked in the mirror and was like, I don't like who I see and I don't even know her. Mm. And I'd really like to figure out how to find myself again. Um, and I started that process. I call it the unraveling years, like where I was just like, let's burn it down so we can build it back. Yeah. So it, it really, like the catalyst was kind of just realizing that you didn't recognize yourself. Were there like moments? Oh my God. There were some deep, probably too deep for this podcast moments that shook my world up and mm. really made me go like, my whole life is a lie. Like the way I'm living it is a lie. The people I thought I knew, that's a lie. Like... It was just kind of an how did I get here moment. And there were a lot of things that happened to kind of make me go, ooh, 
ooh, who are you? I mean, in, in simple things, like I had, I call it my like spring break season mm-hmm. where there were like five years where I was just had like blonde hair that was inappropriate, honestly. Um, <laughs> and, and I look back at that and I'm like, why did I, why did people let me do that? Like, why, why was there a hairdresser that was like, okay, I'm going to keep doing this for you. <laughs> this is good. <laughs> but I just kind of, that was like one thing is like, okay, I'm going to like go back to my natural hair color. I'm going to, mm. I mean, there's a lot of things that I did that I just like unwound some things that had been wound up that I'm like, well, I'm going to see what's left when I take all this stuff away. Yeah. And it was kind of scary to see what was left. It wasn't much. Yeah, I was just going to ask how that process was for you. Because I think a lot of times, like, we start these, like, self-discovery journeys. And they always sound so good because a lot of times people tell the story on the other side Mm -hmm. where they're really grateful they did it. But you're you're really having to dismantle all of these mechanisms and patterns and relationships that have gotten you there. Mm -hmm. And that's ugly and messy. It was really ugly and really messy. And when I say I burnt down my life, I mean, I like burnt down my life. And I think it's, I'm still building it back, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think that that's the, that's the law that there's like a finish line to that. Yeah. There really isn't a finish line. Like, that's why we call it the work, you know, that's why it's like what showing up looks like, which is something I say a lot. But um, yeah, so it started in 2012 and I would say I'm still very much in in process. Yeah. And if, and this may be a, a weird question, but I know that you've done a lot of work at Onsite. Mm-hmm. So how would you introduce yourself to that girl that you were before that was actually not that version of you? Mm-hmm. Like, what would you say is different? Oh, literally everything. I would say that girl was dancing for people. Hmm. And I have, I just started a Bible study and one of the women, we're, we're, it's a Bible study about boundaries. And so based on Matthew 25, which is the parable of the 10 virgins, which I just think is hilarious because, and not to get too deep into that, but that parable, Jesus is speaking and he describes these 10 virgins and five of them were foolish mm-hmm. and five of them were prepared and the five that were prepared basically told the foolish ones like, no. And so I use that parable to illustrate how God gives us permission to tell people no Mm. and to set some boundaries around ourselves. And the question that I posed to all of them was like, what boundaries are you setting? What permission slip do you feel like God wrote you when when he said that parable? Mm. And like one of them was like, to not dance for people anymore. I don't have to dance for it. And I was like, that's a good I'm writing that down in the journal. Yes, please. I will apply that one. But I think that that is the difference between me and her. Mm-hmm. That I think she felt the need to show up the way people wanted her to show up mm-hmm. and do the dance and perform the performance. And I think this version of me feels really confident that I love showing up for people, but I'm going to show up as authentically as I can. Mm-hmm. And I mean that because, again, I'm not perfect and I haven't figured out how to be like, wow, well, this is what you got. But, um, yeah, that's probably the biggest difference. I love that. How do you know when you're slipping into dancing? Yeah. That's a great question. For a lot of us, it's, you know, it just is so, sometimes it's easier to, it's like hard to discriminate between what is like our natural behavior and what's like learned behavior. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Are there things that you do to like keep it in check? 
Yeah. And I think there's some like kind of um, stop points that I've gotten over the years. But I will tell you, um, I know I could slip into dancing for people when I feel like I need to hide something. And again, right room, right people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Some people don't get everything. But I created in 2013, 2014, probably, I just made a pact with myself that when I feel like I need to hide something, I call either my sister or my best friend. I mean, my sister is my best friend too, but, um, and I just say, hey, when you've lied to yourself and other people for a really long time, sometimes you don't know, like, am I, am I dancing or am I not dancing? And so that's one way. The other way I would say is giving people, the people around you permission to tell you when you're slipping into a place of Mm. like performance, you know, like, cause I think what my performance looks like is like trying too hard, coming on too strong, like in an aggressive way, not like a, wow, she really was doing those dishes. No, she was really wooing kind of. Yes. Yeah. Make everybody laugh and do the things and whatever. Yeah. I relate a lot to that. I think the wooing or the making the laugh or being the entertainer, I think there are messages in my life that reiterated that, like the room was uncomfortable. Let's all look to Mackenzie. Or, you know, there are just situations in which I know how to step up in that. Mm-hmm. And I think when you start to change the script and you, like I always say that, like, oh, I'm, I'm changing the script. When you go into a situation and you don't respond in the way that people around you are, are expecting you to and the, how you've taught them to expect you to respond there's some friction and some tension. So like, was there some fallout when you made the decision to not do that? And how did you choose who those right people are? Because I think that's difficult. People, when you change the script on people, they expect you to show up one way and you don't. Yeah. I mean, I think that I still feel that there are relationships that still are not, you know, there were relationships that needed to be unwound too, right? Mm -hmm. So like if you're unraveling your own life, Needless to say, <laughs> you're going to have some relationships that get unraveled as well. And some of them don't need to be put back together. So I think mm. that's what that looks like for me. I'm still learning to release those because there was so much comfort in those relationships. And also, I'm learning how to embrace an uncomfortable moment. I think that there's there was something inside of me that was like, oh, I don't want anybody to be uncomfortable. And yeah. now I'm kind of like... Uncomfortable is good. Yeah. That's on you. That's a, well, it's okay for it to be awkward for a second and let us all process what just happened. I don't have to make you all laugh. Mm. And maybe we all need to feel this together. And so I catch myself in that. But again, I'm still figuring it out. <laughs> I certainly do not. I don't have some magic wand that was like, now I'm not performing for people anymore. But I, I definitely have some things that are like help me check it, and some I think it's people more than just internally. Yeah. Like I think if you are if you have some close people that can say, "Hey, I give you permission mm-hmm. to see this in me and call it mm-hmm. out," it's so freeing and so powerful because we just don't do anything alone in this life. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So you started this mental health journey, 2012. Mm-hmm. You began sort of dismantling some of these behaviors that were trapping you up. Mm-hmm. Um, and you found a therapist that you were committed to being. So many therapists, on, Honest with. Yeah, what was that process like of like finding, like especially if you'd had a therapeutic relationship for a long time. Mm-hmm. So I did therapy. I had some 
stuff happened to me when I was really young and I did some therapy in my like early 20s and that was all pretty much like lying, mm-hmm. like showing up and be like, all right, check that box. Great. Bye. Um, and then late 20s really was like, I think this is what healthy people do. I think they go to therapy and they like really try. I'm going to mm-hmm. try that. And that's the other thing. When you're not healthy, you one of the things that really helped me <laughs> Was just looking to find people who were healthy, yeah, who emulated a life that I thought that I wanted, and yeah. and trying to mirror some of the things that they were doing. Yeah. Like even if I was fumbling my way through that, mm-hmm. if you don't have healthy family, which was my journey, I just you know don't have a very healthy family life. Mm-hmm. My mom is a drug addict. My dad was you know is what he is, and they did the best they could, but. It wasn't like I could pick up the phone and call them and be like, hey, how do I do this? They would say, I don't know. Duh. Yeah. But I think, so I started, had this woman, she was nice, but not very challenging. When I started my business in Birmingham, though, I actually sought out, I just asked people like, who's the best in Birmingham? And I got the name of a psychiatrist or... He's like a psychoanalyst. I don't know what he does, but he's like hardcore. And I called him. His name is Dr. Paul Ware, and he's so great. And I was like, hello, Dr. Ware. My name is Laura. I can't afford you because I'm like a broke entrepreneur. I just started my business, but I really need help. And if you'll take what I can give, I'll always pay something. I just don't know what I can pay. His hourly rate was like, $300 an hour or something. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I would pay him like $50. Oh, so he said yes. He said yes. He said yes. So get this. He said yes. I mean, I think I'm a good salesperson, you know, so I really like sold it. Like, sir, I just, I need strategic help. I don't have anyone to talk to. I'm like alone in this business, managing these people. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. And so I get in there and like after our first session, he, he said, if I would have known how messed up you were, I wouldn't have taken you as a client because I'm really old, Laura. And like, he's like, and also, I don't know how you're a real person. Like, I don't know how you made it this far. He's just, he was so hilarious. And he was totally joking with me, but right. in like a great way. I'm like, oh my gosh, what are you saying? No, it was the greatest. But yeah. he yeah. just knew that I needed that levity. Oh, yeah. I could just kind of totally. like, it's like he got you. He could see you, yeah. But I loved that journey with him. I probably still need to go back and write him like a really big check now, honestly, by saying that Mm. out loud. I'm like, I should go like write him a check and just leave it on his doorstep. Um, And then I got to a place where I really wanted to find God in my story. Like Mm -hmm. I had lived a long time just being like, there can't be a God because how could God, I can't reconcile this good God with like my story. Mm -hmm. And so my next therapist, which is still my current therapist, is Don Richards in Birmingham. And he was willing to kind of get in the trenches with me on that. And the tools that I got from both of them like changed my life, you know, on a like next level. But Don has been my therapist now for five years, six years. And it's been magical, maybe four years with Don and two, a year and a half with Paul before that, but Dr. Ware. And how did you find Don? I think that's like something that like so often people call onsite, mm-hmm. which we will help clients and anyone that we can, if we've got suggestions area, yeah. Yeah, in their area, but it's to, so hard to find somebody that is the right fit. Like that he would know that you needed levity and could like see you. And yes, I don't know how that happened. I think just kind of like one of those, the right door open and I just happened to walk through it. I mean, what, what seasoned 
therapist even would say yes to that. I don't know. I just think favor maybe helped yeah. me get through that door. For sure. Um, but with Don, I had asked some friends, like mm-hmm. just like, hey, this is kind of where I am. And that's the other thing. I think trusting your community to help you, you know, if you are taking a mental health journey, like let's say that's where you are in your life. Yeah. I'm about to take a step. I think I want to get a therapist. I think I'm ready to be honest. Maybe I'm okay burning some shit down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you don't have anybody in your life who's in therapy, you might just have to go to Google or call somebody, right? But if you have, if you just meet one friend who's in therapy, and maybe that's the thing that's got you curious about it, Mm -hmm. don't be afraid to ask them where they go. Um, Totally. And and to maybe that person can't, like I always try to refer people to Don and he he can't take any new Mm -hmm. clients. Like he's just booked. But he has a practice and so he has lots of other therapists that work there. So I've had, I probably have 10 friends going to his group. You know, Austin at our work says, like, find someone that's in therapy. And obviously you can't go to the same thing. Like often you can't go to the same therapist as your family member or your sister or your friend or whatever. But then he says, call them and say, who would you refer your family to? Mm -hmm. Like if you know someone that trusts this person, even if it's just one person asking that question. And I like he, I heard him say that one time, maybe it was on the Living Center podcast. And I was like, oh, that's genius. Mm -hmm. Because it puts the onus back on them of like, who would you care so tenderly with, and then whose hands would you put them in? Um, but I good. love that. And I think it's, I, what I hear you saying is that you talk about mental health with your friends. Like it's not something that you shy away from. You own it and say, you go, you've put yourself in community with people who are also on this journey. And it's just a normal part of your conversation the same way you talk about your outfit or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I love think, that. I mean, it's one of the pillars that Shane and I base our marriage on is mm-hmm. mental health and removing the stigmas that still unfortunately do exist around it. And like, you know, I always tell people like, if your heart was hurting, you would go to a cardiologist, right? Mm-hmm. If your head's hurting, you'd see a neurologist. But if your insides, your emotions are in turmoil, like you need to find a place to put that. And so you should see somebody who's a professional. And so Shane and I talk about it very openly mm-hmm. and obviously send people to onsite constantly as much <laughs> as we can. And and therapy, like that's a big deal to us. Yeah. And we're like, again, once you find this kind of freedom, you just want other people to experience it. Yeah. For I think a lot of people like there's their their therapy <laughs> and then there's marriage. <laughs> and what is cool about you and Chain's story and what I know of it is that y'all really have you don't just Talk about going to couples therapy. You've really like done your own personal work mm-hmm. and made that a part of sort of your journey towards each other. Mm-hmm. And so I'd love to hear you talk about sort of what that's looked like and mm-hmm. your journey of coming back to yourself and then his journey of coming back to himself and then finding partnership that works. No. Like how that all intertwines. So Shane and I are celebrating our third anniversary this month. And um, congrats. That's super yeah. exciting. Thanks. We've been together for a little over five years. And it's funny because the other day we were, I don't remember, he was telling someone else, but I was standing there and he said, the greatest gift that Laura ever gave me was booking an appointment for a therapist. Because mm. he mm. had not gone prior to. He had done a little bit like through his divorce. He had gone, but I don't think he had really like found a place or or just felt comfortable enough. But I will say like Shane models a lot of really healthy, good behavior for me. And therapy was the really healthy, good behavior that I was modeling for him. Hmm. And I think that one, I don't think we'd be married if it weren't for therapy 
especially separate. Doing your own individual work. work. Yeah. I mean, I think I I post often like, hey, because I have these girls that are like, I want to meet somebody. And I'm like, be whole. Mm. Whole people attract whole people. That's what you need to do. So the mistake I made my whole life was like looking for someone to fix me. Like I'm just going (laughs) to find someone and they're going to be like my half. You know, the half to my home. Yeah, that no. whole. Yeah, you complete me. You yes. complete oh, that Disney. That Disney bullshit story that they all fed us yeah. until we were like twelve, and then we, our first boyfriend, were like, "Well, this is a joke because you're yeah. not that. This does not work." Yeah, and so I think yes, and I would say I know that that's. I would say the pursuit of wholeness, because mm-hmm. obviously wholeness is kind of like, well, you did it, congrats. But that both people have the posture of like, I'm going to continue to do my own work so that we can do work together. Mm -hmm. So Shane and I started in therapy um, really like six months after we were dating together. So that was like the commitment. Like, hey, our lives have been messy. We both have very heavy stories. So like in order to do this well, we probably are going to need some tools outside of what we have. Um, so we started that, and we also made a commitment to doing our own work. So, you know, we still have a monthly standing appointment with our therapist, and I don't care if things are great or if things are falling apart, we're going. Hmm. We do it virtually. We did it through the pandemic in our car. I almost busted the like glass out of his car because he was pissing me off so bad. <laughs> it's like a hypochondriac, and I'm like, everything's going to be great. And so that was a great combination to be stuck in the house together. It was super fun. Yeah, like One of the first things together? he did is he came in, and he was like, hey, this is like right when things shut down. He's like, come over here. We're standing in my like tiny kitchen. This before we moved into our new, into our new house, and he's like, I want to teach you how to wash your hands. Did he Get. want you to sing a song? Happy birthday. Happy birthday. <laughs> Just I was like, I've been it. cooking you dinner Not for five years. I need you to get out of my kitchen right now. Yeah. Like, do, you don't think I know how to wash my hands? And so that was like fun. But also is, is like Clay, our oldest, and I are very similar. So we were just kind of like, everything's going to be fine. And it took me months to realize that my attitude was probably pretty triggering to Shane because he wasn't, it wasn't the pandemic. Shane's entire world shut down. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Y'all both are like business owners. Yeah. Mine blew up. Have. Mine like got better than it ever gotten. Well, not the magazine, but the other, the other ones did. Yeah. And Shane went from, you know, 700 shows a year, mm. two Traveling, million tickets event sold. Yeah. And to nothing. Literally nothing. He got in his car every day at 8 a.m. and drove around for eight hours. Mm. That was his office. Like, he couldn't do it. He needed to stay in consistency. And I was, like, you know, taking walks around the block. And for him, like, taking a walk around the block was, like, I wasn't taking it seriously. It was a dark moment there for a second. While yeah, we were that's really it heavy. It is. But... Again, like what would have happened if we couldn't do virtual therapy in the midst of that? And we did. We stayed committed to it. But like our journey together has been the commitment to doing some things that even like we, I mean, we still do something that Shane walked away from onsite his first LCP with, which was he got out of onsite. Well, he went into LCP and I was like, we probably won't make it through this. Like. He's going to get out and we're not going to be together. Y'all were dating. We were dating. Oh, my gosh. But, but he had been breaking up with me like every week for four months. 
And it was like hilarious. Like he'd show up at my house. I'd be like, oh, oh, are we breaking up today? Okay, cool. Well, I'm keeping the dog and here's your things and I'll see you tomorrow. Like it was just like, (laughs) and I think I was learning a lot about staying Mm. and he was spinning. Like, how do I commit again? I don't know Mm, if I can do this, whatever. And I had always been a girl who ran like hardcore and I was learning how to stay while somebody like, what does it look like to be stable if someone else is spinning Mm. instead of joining them? Yeah. And I don't want y'all to think that that's me being righteous because I'm not at all. I'm just saying that now we have that balance where if I'm spinning, he's really strong. And if he's spinning, I need to be able to stand and hold space for him. So all of that only exists because of therapy, the commitment to therapy. Him, he wouldn't have said yes to LCP had he not have been in therapy Mm-hmm. And not been like completely mortified, um, but when he went in, I was like, I mean, this could really go either way. He might get in there and be like, mm, this is too hard. I don't want to do it. But instead, he came out, and what he said to me was, "I'm not fixed. I still have a lot of work to do. Mm-hmm. But what I know is, I want to be with you. Mm-hmm. And what I also know is, we need to have a meeting every week because our schedules are crazy. And I think that." Most of our bad communication happens because we don't know where each other are. Um, And we have been having a meeting for three and a half years. Every week we have a meeting and every week we have a day night. What's that meeting look like? That's a great question. Well, he said we need to have a meeting and I, of course, am the agenda girl. So I put together the agenda. Yeah, I love that. (laughs) Um, Bring some structure to this. Exactly. Let's let's be productive. So the meeting is sharing schedules, like where are we going to be and what are we going to be doing and and how can we show up for each other in that. Um, It's expectations over one another. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, some weeks his expectations are like, I need you to just be cute. I can't be heavy with you. I can't. I'm too much going on. Um, and some weeks I'm like, I need you to flirt with me. I feel like I don't exist because you're busy. And he goes into like the deep dive Tunnel of vision. like, I am working. And it could be, I call it island time because sometimes I just get dropped off on the island and I'm like, all right, well, I guess I'm here on the private island. <laughs> maybe he'll come back and get me or maybe he'll join me. I don't know. And those have gotten shorter and shorter between, but expectations, schedules, um, what are we praying and believing for? Are for each other. Um, how can we support each other? What are our needs? And schedule a date night. And then what are we praying and believing for our children? Hmm. So, and how long does that like? Obviously, I like structure and logistics. So, like, mm-hmm. what is how long does that normally last? When do you have it? Like, we have on it every, Sundays. Every Sunday. Okay. When we go to brunch every Sunday. Sometimes, like with travel, we might have to do like dinner or super early, or maybe we even have to squeeze it in Monday mornings. Mm-hmm. But the meeting portion, I would say, is no more than like 15 or 20 minutes. Sometimes it's longer if there's like something we haven't discussed and we need to. Yeah. But that gift, like, I'm like, how did we make it before that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what were we doing? We're just like, I was, I know what I was doing. I was pissed all the time. I'm like, I didn't even know you were doing that. Why? Okay, cool. Bye. I guess I'll see you next week. South Africa. Okay, great. Just waiting. Yeah, yeah kind yeah. of more. And same thing with me. Yeah. You know, I'd have something and he'd be like, well, you didn't tell me that. I'm like, well, because you didn't tell me. Get over it. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a speaking of expectations. That's interesting. Yeah, it's good. I think uh, listening to you talk, I just was thinking about how brave it is mm-hmm. to like really want him to get the healing, to, you know, like wanting him to attend the Living Centered Program. Mm-hmm. 
reconciling that that might mean that y'all aren't in relationship anymore and being okay with it. It's just brave to, you know, like want the best for him so much that you were willing. I was willing. such a wreck that week though, because like, you know, I just felt in my soul that we were supposed to be together and supposed to do life together. And I knew that like part of the vulnerability of loving someone really well, one, there's, um, there's a quote somewhere and I can't remember who said it, so forgive me, but if you really love someone, that means you know what hurts them and you choose not to do that, mm-hmm. you know? But really, I think that we could say that about ourselves. Like, you have to know what hurts you by you mm-hmm. and not do those things before yeah. you can learn to turn that out, right? And so it was scary, and I, I think you both have to go. Like, that was, like, what I learned. You know, the crazy thing is, and you know this, because you and I, that's, like, how we made our soul connection, Lindsay, is I called you, and I'm like, I want to do a story on this. I think it's so cool. Obviously, I was, you know, the editor of the magazine, and that was kind of my thing. I would do one thing each issue and, like, write about it from a really personal perspective. And you were like, that's awesome. Yeah, let's do it. So we had it all lined up. Well, what ended up happening is Shane took my spot because Mm. they were full. And I ended up going like two and a half weeks later. Oh, I forgot that. Yeah. yeah. He yeah. went right before my birthday and I went August 1st. So like he went midweek, midtime in July yeah. mm-hmm. and I went August 1. And I will say when he got out, he had all these new tools and I was still pissed. <laughs> I was like, oh, you're cute. You have tools. Oh, you need to, you need to breathe right now. <laughs> And he was like, I need a break. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, who taught you that, that you need a break? No, we need to get in. But it's funny because then I think two weeks later, I went in, and I'm so thankful we did it so close together because mm-hmm. we were speaking the same language. Yeah. He yeah. had learned a new language, an on-site, which was amazing, and I loved it for him. But I needed to go catch up. Yep. So again, like that race of, it's always funny when I, when I hear people say like, well, I'm the leader or he's the leader or whatever. And I'm like, no, a great relationship is you're both going to, sometimes you're going to lead and sometimes you're going to follow. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes our thing work, I think. Yeah. My favorite TV couple is um, Eric and Tammy Taylor from Friday Night Lights. Oh, yeah. But it's because, and y'all kind of remind me of them, you and Shane mm, do, because yeah. it's like they both had these like big dreams mm-hmm. and they were passionate and mm-hmm. they were successful and they had to figure out how to like juggle making their life work together and taking turns mm-hmm. and communicating and stuff like that. And so I think, but you don't see that modeled a ton in no. the media. You see more like stories of one person in the relationship sort of helping the other person's world function. Mm-hmm. And I think as, as the world continues to evolve and women take on more roles outside the house and, mm-hmm. you know, like are expected to juggle more that it is, I love seeing pictures or hearing real life stories of relationships that have that cool give and take. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, and we have honest, I mean, it is kind of uh if I see him rolling into a wildly busy season, you know, we'll have the convo. Like, what does this mean for us? Like, mm-hmm. what does this mean for the boys? And our boys are so much older now, so it's a lot easier than if we had littles. Mm-hmm. And I always have that grace on people like, well, how do you – I had a girl ask me, that, like, I just don't 
I don't know how you do it like you do. And I'm like, well, I have more time than you. And I was joking because she was like, we have the same amount of time. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm older than you. So I figured out how to use it better. Don't worry, you'll get there. But I do think that we have that conversation and marrying Shane, and maybe he would say this about me, but I'm going to say it about him because I know it's true. Like Shane's permission to me is always like, be as big and do as much as you want. Mm. Like it's mm-hmm. not, he's never, I've never felt like he needed me to stay small so he could feel big. Like yeah, I've that. always felt like he loves watching me have success. Like that's not scary to him. Um, and I have certainly experienced as a woman with a lot of big dreams, I've been in relationships where it was mm-hmm. kind of like, I mean, most of them failed because it was kind of like, ooh, not really comfortable with. Yeah. Well, and they failed because, you know, I was a hot mess express. But <laughs> <laughs> both and. Both, both and. and. Uh-huh. Both are true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember very early on in early days of marriage, I saw a Shannon Equist talk where she was saying that in her home, there is permission, there's room enough for two callings. And I remember thinking that feels wild, outlandish, and the only thing that I want. And so I love mm-hmm. to hear that Shane is like coming from a place of like, yeah, I want to see you succeed and there's room enough for you. And like mm-hmm. not only creating that, because I think there's one thing of like, okay, well, you go do your thing as long as it doesn't interfere mm-hmm. interfere over here, but like championing you mm-hmm. to become your most authentic whole self. And yeah. I think you guys do that for each other. Like I, have, I, have, I love that. Well, and I love that for you. I love that you, did you say you read that or saw that before? You got married? I was like in my very early days. I think we were engaged or something. Yeah, that's Yeah, big. and we wrote it in like our house rules. Like what are our house rules? And that was one of them is that there's room enough for two callings. That's so good. And it can be both and. And I think even just like you were saying of like trading off in seasons or figuring that out, but there is mm-hmm. always permission to do that mm-hmm. and to figure out how to do that. It's really big. I love it. Um, it's very hard, um, but worth it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's, I like, I have been on a big Sue Monk kid Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm. She's so great. She's just so, she like got me through the pandemic, I think. (laughs) But one of the things she said in The Dance of the Distant Daughter, have you ever read any of her Mm -mm. stuff? No. What's that about? I don't know that book. It's the greatest book of all time. Is this nonfiction or fiction? Dance. This is nonfiction. Nonfiction. The Dance of the Distant Daughter. And it is kind of her unraveling, well, patriarchy in some ways. I love that. um, But also like her kind of, reinventing how she sees her spiritual journey. Mm. But she was talking about, well, not just in that one, but also the Book of Longings. I did read that one. Okay, the Book of Book of Longings, one of the things that the, the girl writes was, God bless the largeness in me. Mm. You know, and I think like that is definitely a new call I feel for women is like, I want to see every woman that God gives me an opportunity to touch I would like to see her take up exactly the amount of space she's supposed to take up on this earth. And I want to give them permission by the way I live, Mm -hmm. not just by saying it or asking them like, hey, you know, I need you to take your seat at the table and say the things or, you know, encouraging that, but also modeling that for them. And I think that that feels like a season I'm in Mm. to talk to women about that and just Give them that permission, you know? Yeah. It's good. Sumant Kid is like an angel from heaven on everything she writes. I'm like, I'll read it. 
I'm Have even you gotten like, to meet her, do an article on her? No. Oh, my God. I should. That's so she good. She seems up here. She is up our alley. I would die. I'd be, I, that might be, I've never fangirled about anyone, but I might fangirl on her. <laughs> like, I try to, like, hold it together, you know? Like, Laura, keep your shit together. This is Do just, you hold it together? Because I feel like I, when I'm feeling I always I'm hold line. it together. I have sat That's at so a good. dinner table with Morgan Freeman and been Ooh. a little bit girl fangirly just because Morgan Freeman. I mean, but, you know, like, you don't ask for the picture in our business. Right. You don't. You don't ask for the picture, ever. You kept it inside. You keep it inside. Shane was like, you don't want to get a picture? I was like, never. You never ask for the picture, Shane. One of my first jobs in my 20s, I worked at Books A Million at their corporate office mm-hmm. back when I was in Birmingham. Um, nice. And I did all their like corporate event signings for the whole bookstore chain. And so I got to meet like lots of people. So many That's people. amazing. I it thought was that was so fun. fun. But it, it was like, it's sort of like there's nobody really that makes me nervous. And it's like... I think it, you realize how weird a relationship is with, like, celebrity, mm-hmm. where it's really, it's the people, like, I want to be friends with people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't want some, like, false interaction with them. Like, that will never be meaningful. And so it's like with Sumant Kid, you're like, I want to, like, yeah. have dinner. dinner with I want her to yeah. tell I'm me like, about. Can we drink wine together and <laughs> talk about Black Madonna's from Europe and just like do all the things. Can we do that? Okay, great. Yeah, I think that that's it's funny cuz I don't think I don't think I really knew that. I I like to treat people like people. Mm-hmm. Um and it's been easy for me to do that. Like Yeah. It's just easy. And it's not, you know, we have younger a lot of young I won't, I do not want to say kids. Young women who work at Good Grit and yeah. come through our program. And a lot of Good Grit is ran by interns. Like it just, that's how it works. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a hard business. There's not a ton of margin there. So, and there's the talk. It's like, you have to act like you've been here before. <laughs> like you good. walk into every room and pretend you've been in it before. No matter who's in there, pretend you've been here before. Don't act like it's the first time. Um, and sometimes, and we don't, it's funny because I think we used to deal with more celebrity than we do now. Celebrity, whatever that means, but you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. And I think we've really taken a shift to like, we want people to see themselves in our stories. And so Mm -hmm. a lot of times, sometimes that means that there's someone that is well known, Mm -hmm. but a lot of times that means it's people that really are just like us, you know, and walking through similar things. Yeah. I love hearing that y'all have tons of young women that you're working with and- the most badass group of women I've ever met my entire life. Like I could spend a whole day or a whole podcast just bragging on the women that I've had the opportunity to work with throughout my career. But I think more recently I've learned and I have like way more perspective because of all the books I read and the the people I've heard and the podcasts I've listened to that I just had this realization like four years ago, like, oh, damn, I was a mean girl. Mm. Like I was a mean female figure in a company. Like I was typically the only woman on a board full of men. I was typically the only woman in leadership. And this was like early. I had, Mm. I don't know why, I probably lied my way into every job. Definitely did for sure. But I would hold these positions and I did not have, empathy was not a thing I was walking around Mm. with. So I would be like, you're not here because you don't know how to do it. You can't make it happen. You can't stop being emotional. Like, Mm. That was really my brokenness speaking. Yeah. And so now, like, just 
happenstance, Shelly and I have an all-female team on the Good Grit side, and it is magical. And I'm so thankful that I can kind of right the ship in how I'm able to encourage them and their careers and their Mm -hmm. dreams. And again, giving them that permission slip to like be as big and as bold as you want to be. Like Mm -hmm. nothing about that intimidates us. Um, And sometimes that even looks like being really happy when they ha- they choose a different thing. Yeah. You know? That's hard. Um, yeah, but it gets easier when mm-hmm. you're practicing it and you really believe in it. And what that does when they know they really have permission to do that, they're going to give you a much longer ramp to replace them or mm-hmm. find somebody like them. So it's just been the best ever. That's so great. Mm-hmm. What advice? Do you give advice? Do you have like, oh what gosh. are the... To mean girls principles. or to? <laughs> no, just the principles yes, to the girls. Let me talk like, to you mean girls out there. No, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> you mean girls. This is how you. No, I think this like how do you encourage women to to live into their bigness? Yeah. To take up as much space as they need. Like what is your encouragement or advice there? I mean, I have so much advice on that. But mm. I would say I think the first step is know what you want. Mm. Like the you can't ask for what you want if you don't know. And it's okay if you don't know right now, but you do need to figure that out. Because if you don't know what you want, then you will find yourself disappointed a lot. And it'll be really hard to articulate why you're disappointed and or what you need. Um, So I always, I want women to feel empowered to say, okay, I'm allowed to have needs and wants and desires and dreams, but I need to articulate those so I can share them with other people. And they can step into that with me. And that was, I think that was why I got to be a mean girl because I always was like, I know what I want. I want to be the best. I want to be the top. I want to be the whatever. <laughs> I'm going to be at the table. Uh, I'm going to run the table. That's my like little girls like would dream. Like and when I was a little girl, they would all be like playing with Barbies and dreaming about getting married. And I legitimately would be pretending I was running board meetings. <laughs> <That's> so great. <laughs> Love it. Hilarious. Um, yeah. It's amazing how often, uh, because I love helping people get connected. And you're very good at that. She's um, a great. Have a side job that doesn't pay because I don't charge anything for it. But I love helping people find jobs and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. I'm part time recruiter for people. Mm -hmm. But um, it's amazing how often people are looking for something different, and then they but they cannot vocalize what they want to do. And sometimes they can't even vocalize like what their strengths are, you Mm -hmm. know, and you're like, so how do you want me to help you? Mm -hmm. You know, if I, if, if you don't, if you're not willing to speak it, and I know that sometimes it's really scary Mm -hmm. to put it out there because then there's the possibility that you won't get that yeah, and you'll feel let down and people know you're settling, Mm -hmm. but without somebody knowing, then it's hard for them to help support you. And so I just think that that's such great advice. Well, I also just want to say you are an awesome connector of people. You are Mm -hmm. also just a wild, like, collector of good people. Mm -hmm. I just know that about you. And I think that's something that I I admire in other people and try to do that. But You do it it too. But, yeah, I, I think that that's also a product of, like, sometimes you wake up and you find that people have you've allowed people to make you small yeah. Um, and you've stepped so much into someone else's needs and wants and desires that you've kind of forgotten yourself a little bit. Yeah. And I see that happen with women often. And I think that 
It's funny because my sister went through something really hard like four or five, actually five and a half, six years ago. And I remember we went on a trip like she had just gone through a divorce. I think she'd be totally okay with me saying that. She got just gone through a divorce. She was married to a pastor. Mm. And it was like really messy, really, really messy. And I took her on a trip right after her divorce was final. And I was like, and it had been like two years. She'd been by herself. And I was like, okay, we're going to write down the 30 four things or 35 things she wanted to do before she turned 34 or 35. I can't remember which one. And she was like, I don't have anything. Mm. And I was like, well, what about your dreams? Like, let's just write down one or two dreams that you have. And she was like, I can't dream Mm. right now. And I was like, what does that even mean? And I think naturally I am a person that has just always been able to manifest that. Yeah. But seeing my like Literally, my sister is like a Disney character and Jesus put together. It's very disturbing and inspiring all at once. <laughs> but seeing her walk in that season, just, I don't know. It's like the Grinch, like my heart grew 10 times yeah. the size. But also it gave me permission to like get in there really tight with her and be yeah. like, nah, we're going to find something. We're, gonna we're not going to settle there. Yeah. yeah. We're going to figure this out. And she now, um, she just called me the other day and she's like, I think for my 40th birthday, I'm going to do a ultra marathon. Something oh, really golly. terrible and dumb that only like people that are gross do. Mm. I'm just kidding. She's like, do you inspiring. work out a lot? Do you like to run and do work I mean, work I like to like, yeah, Those jog. Those are like 50 miles. Jog. That's like, yeah. like it, I'm like, listen, this is the is like, like an ultra, like a double. I don't know. No, nah, girl. One of the Peloton instructors I, I like taking my Apple ultras. watch off because I was getting too kind of thick. Like I was pretty fixated on like uh, your steps or whatever. whatever. Just Close dumb stuff. Closing the rings. Well, the part of the problem is I'm friends with my sister on there and I'll look and literally. You get her notifications of what she's doing or how it pro- I'm telling you that every five minutes she's doing a workout and it's very annoying. And the second thing is, I'll be like, what did you do this weekend? And she'll say things like, well, we rode our bikes 150 miles yesterday. I'm sorry, you did what? Why did you do that? That's horrible. Was somebody <laughs> chasing y'all? Were there like knobs no involved? Cars available? Yeah, like did your car break down? What <laughs> happened? And she just, she loves it. So, but I, when I was with her and she told me that, I was like, can we just take a second and celebrate the mm. fact? Yeah, the growth. That you, well, she's now happily married and has an amazing husband, a great family, and just like, it's so sweet. But just like hearing her say, like, this is the dream I have for yeah. myself. I was like, I love that you have dreams for yourself because remember when you did it? <laughs> she's yeah. like, yes, I remember Laura. Thank you for reminding me. Um, yeah. But she's also a psycho who works out all the time. Is she a younger or older sister? We're one year apart. She's mm. older. One year apart. And she's the greatest of all time. Hmm. Yeah. I feel like several of the people we've interviewed lately have talked like really longingly about their sisters. And I, I just, know. that's so beautiful. Do you have a sister? Like, I don't. I have an older brother and it's just two of us. That's so awesome. I have a little girl and I think like I would be okay being a girl mom. Yeah. So like maybe we just have two girls. But I mean, good boy too, it's fine. But I just think that's such an interesting relationship. I think I feel like it just keeps coming up in my life. I keep talking to people who are like really close to their sisters or like You can choose a sister, you know that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think I might just have to. Just do it. Yeah, do exactly. It. Get in there. So <laughs> Yeah, the the thing with sisters is there's lots of fighting. Yeah, I was about happens. to say, like, you, you probably have to get to that point. Like, I'm sure you didn't just I with feel one like year. It's apart. actually safer that you choose one now at your age. Okay, great. <laughs> yeah, because this is when it gets good. Yeah. Yeah. I'll take it. 
But it is, it's the commitment that you're still going to be related on the other side of. Yeah. You have to like say like, Hey, we're in this forever, no matter what. Yeah. My sister and I weren't, we didn't grow up in the same house. She grew up with her mom. I grew up with my dad and, um, well, our dad. So we shared a dad. Okay. She grew up with her mom. But when we were 16, we were like 15 and 16, we're like inseparable. But then she met the guy that she actually married. Um, her first husband when she was only 15. So that's so well. Well, as we kind of uh, land the plane and end this interview, I've just really enjoyed getting to talk to you. And I'm so grateful that you said yes to us. Yeah. We often ask people as we're wrapping up, like what are some practices that help you stay centered or grounded um, and just kind of like are the essential practices in your day? Mm-hmm. What are some of those things? So every day I journal. Mm-hmm. I have a gratitude journal that I that I try. I actually started that practice as a daily practice when I went to Living Centered. I had just been wow. given a really beautiful leather notebook from Cageless Birds, which is out of North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And I filled it up July, which would have been like three years, and wow. started a new one. And I, some days I have one sentence, maybe one word <laughs> of what I'm thankful for. And some days I could fill up pages. Um, so I do that every morning. I also, I write my core values and my beliefs at the beginning of my journal, not my gratitude journal, but my daily journal. And I also write a prayer for myself, a prayer for my husband, and a prayer for both of our boys. And I stay pretty anchored in those things. That's kind of my morning routine. And when I don't do it, I Mm -hmm. feel it. Mm. I've recently started meditating a lot more and just learning how to let like empty it out, Mm. you know, clear my head. And I really try to encourage women, especially young women in their careers, to have a stopping point to your day. Mm. Give yourself permission because they're, I think often they'll work 12 or 13 or 14 hours mm-hmm. and not be pointed in what did success look like for that day. Yeah. And so going to bed feeling like they didn't succeed yeah. and waking up in Groundhog Day, doing it all over. There's always I feel that way. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I, I encourage young women to say, to write down and proclaim the five to six things that if you got them over the finish line, that would be a successful day mm-hmm. and give yourself permission to stop working at 5.30 or 6.30 mm-hmm. and do not pick it up mm. until the next day. Yeah. Because if you can replenish yourself, you're so much more effective the next day. And that has been something I've been practicing for probably the last three to four years. And it, you know, it's cool to look at your kids and have a 15 minute eye contact conversation Mm -hmm. because I know at 38 years old, this is what I know. It can wait. Yeah. Yeah. It can wait. And there is nothing groundbreaking that's going to happen between today and tomorrow morning at 830. Yeah. Like it's just not. So... Those are the, the practices that have like really keep me grounded and help me to stay on the right track. That's awesome. Great, Great so practice. Thank you, Laura. Thank you for having me. I love you guys. Thank you for listening today and for committing valuable time to share space with these powerful stories. Make sure you hit subscribe to get all of our inspiring conversations with these incredible people delivered directly to you. And if you found this conversation particularly impactful, consider supporting the show by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen.
When our emotional health is suffering, many of us begin to feel alone and overwhelmed. If you're in that place right now, we deeply encourage you to ask for help. If OnSite can support you in connecting the dots with one of our programs or other offerings, our admissions team would love to connect with you. Simply call 1-800-341-7432 or visit onsiteworkshops.com.